Hey everyone, it's Abadesi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. In this episode, I speak to Michelle Bacharach, the CEO and founder of FindMine. FindMine is a retail technology company that uses machine learning to scale the currently manual and tedious process of product curation. FindMine boasts impressive clients like Adidas and Perry Ellis. In this interview, we dive into the challenging world of enterprise sales. Many of you makers have B2B products, so I know you're going to learn a ton from Michelle. She shares insight into the early days of building FindMine and the tactics that successfully helped her win over her very first business clients and close more enterprise deals. Enjoy. Building good products takes a long time. Everyone knows that. A lot of time goes into troubleshooting your apps pre and post deployment. Now, with Headspin, the world's first connected intelligence platform, dev teams, QA, and product teams can save countless hours with unified testing, monitoring, and analytics across applications, devices, and networks. Headspin accelerates time to market and optimizes the performance and functionality of your digital experiences enabled by mobile, web, IoT, and 5G technologies. Learn more at www.headspin.io. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. I've been really excited to interview you and find out more about your product, Find Mine. Funnily enough, your name came up when I sent a tweet out asking what makers I should bring on the show. So thanks, Twitterverse, for bringing Michelle to Product Hunt Radio. Um, since you have a very unique product, I thought it might be fun for me to just start off by getting you to talk about Find Mine and what you do. Sure. So we're an enterprise software solution for consumer facing brands and retailers. And our software is actually helping to scale out what those um, organizations are doing internally by hand. So the content that they're creating manually to help guide shoppers with how to be successful with the products that they're buying is something that we are using um, machine learning and um, automation to scale out. So as an example, um, our clients include you know, fashion brands and retailers that sell clothing. And you might be shopping on a website and see a shirt and it will show you the pants and the shoes and the bag and the jacket that all go with that shirt to help you understand how would I wear this? How would I wear this for a date? Um, you know, what could I wear with this if I wanted to take it to work, wear it to work. And um, usually that's being programmed manually by someone called a merchandiser within the fashion organization. Marketers might send out email campaigns. You know, we just had Chinese New Year. So there might've been an email campaign, like all the different looks with red that you could wear for a Chinese New Year dinner. Cause red's the kind of lucky color during Chinese New Year. But a marketer was usually having to create that campaign by hand. So what our technology is doing is actually predicting what those people, merchandisers, marketers, um, personal shopping teams would do if they were to create a complete outfit by hand, a furniture set if they're a home furnishings company, a makeup look or a beauty regimen um, if they're a beauty company, what would they create if they were to sit down and do it by hand to help guide mm. a consumer so that you know how to be successful with this face cream or with this couch or whatever you're buying. So essentially what we're doing is we're trying to close the information gap between the customer who is not an expert right, in everything that they could be buying and the brand who is an expert at what they're selling. 
And we're doing that in a way that's actually scalable so that the customer gets better information. They spend more money. The brand is happier. They make more revenue. Um, They also have a longer lifetime value from that customer. And they save time because they don't have to have those merchandisers, marketers manually curating this content all the time trying to guide their customer base. This is incredible. I think what's so interesting about your product is it's one which has a touch of complexity to it just because you're working across lots of different types of verticals. But when you took that beat to explain it and share examples, I realized, oh, I actually benefit from companies using your tools because it is difficult. You know, I think of the last time I just tried to buy a new outfit for work or whatever, and it's quite easy to immediately be overwhelmed by the options available. And I guess as a consumer, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about what happens when I click on that blouse and suddenly I'm being suggested the best pair of trousers or shoes or boots or whatever to go with it. So it's quite interesting to hear about that. And I guess the reason I wanted to draw that out was to ask you how you stumbled across this challenge that retailers faced. Was it being in the industry yourself or was it, you know, as a consumer trying to create an experience that you prefer that you did not see out there? It was the latter, actually. So as a consumer, you know, I buy all sorts of things all the time. And I had all these frustrating experiences where I would buy the product that I knew I wanted or would kind of have a strike strike of inspiration for something that I didn't know I wanted. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. Um, And then I would buy it. But then there was this whole like after sale struggle that um, I I couldn't figure out how to be the most successful with that product. And then I would have it just sit in my closet or um, I would return it. Or sometimes I'd miss my return window, but then like not end up using it and then donate it. Um, I don't throw my stuff away, but a lot of people do. So it could end up in a landfill. And that just bummed me out because, you know, I spent the money on it. I spent the time to buy it. And if I wasn't um, able to kind of be successful and success depends on, you know, what product you're talking about. Right. So of course the shirt success means like wearing it outside and getting, you know, compliments on it. Hopefully if it's a, you know, couch, it means like it's in my living room and I feel good about the way it looks and a couch is really hard to return. So if you buy a couch and you didn't really think through how it was all going to work and it's like in your living room now, And you're like, I could return this giant thing and spend a whole bunch of money doing it and time and effort, or I could just learn to live with it. Fine. Maybe you learn to live with it, but you don't love that couch and you don't love the way it looks in your apartment. So you sort of have this negative feeling towards the brand that sold it to you. You might feel like, oh, like, I don't know if I'm going to buy anything from them anymore. So essentially I had that experience in my life as a consumer more often than I was comfortable with. And I was like, you know, whoever's selling me this couch knows how to make it look good. Why didn't I get that information? And when I started looking into why I wasn't getting this guidance from the brands and retailers selling me products all the time, that's when I realized there's this big bottleneck that all the people who work there want to give me this information. They just have a bunch of stuff on their plate and they don't have all the time in the world to create a complete furniture set for every single product in their store Right. When stock changes from time to time, they get new products in, you know, seasons change. Like there's just so much variance in the world. Um, They couldn't possibly keep up with it. So it's not really their fault, but 
it doesn't really solve the problem that I'm not going to feel great about this brand if I buy a couch and I don't love it, or if I return something, or if I just don't buy it in the first place because I'm like, well, I don't really know if I'm going to get that much use out of it. Yes, absolutely. I always love when makers' experiences are what directly inform what they deal with. And I just wonder what then were the challenges you faced as you started building, let's say, the earlier versions of Find Mine and then started having conversations with these enterprise companies that, you know, now became your clients? What were some of the challenges of just trying to better understand the other side of the table? I think that once I figured out that the retailers and brands have this problem, it all became a lot easier because for initially we were trying to solve it directly for the consumer. We're like, Oh yeah, I guess I do have that problem, but they weren't really really willing to do anything about it. So like they weren't, you know, having them download an app or, you know, take an action or sign up for a new service or new subscription was hard because consumers are kind of, like fickle changing their behavior is, is challenging. I think mm. Stitch Fix is such an amazing company. They actually got a massive amount of customers at scale to change their behavior and buy through the subscription service. But that doesn't work for everyone. And, and all the people who are Stitch Fix customers probably still shop at other places. So right. the realization was really like, you have to meet the consumer where they're at, let them shop in however they want to shop, you know, whatever method or channel or whatever they're used to. And just meet them at that place with the guidance and the help. And um, when I figured that out, then I started asking the retailers and brands, hey, like, why can't I get this, you know, guidance when I'm shopping online or when I'm in your store and I can't find a store associate? Why isn't there a way I can, like, learn more information about these products and, and how to use them? And everyone was sort of like, yeah, of course we'd like to be able to do that more often. But, you know, reality is a factor here and we don't have the time or the manpower to do that. And so they sort of confirmed that the problem was the um, bottleneck of, of manual effort. And that's where artificial intelligence is very, very valuable or automation in general is very, very valuable when there's sort of like a bottleneck of, of human effort. And what's really interesting is that the thing that we do is scale out human effort. That's very creative Right. So like okay. The starting point has to be a human. A human has to, you know, like set the vision for what this fashion brand stands for and how we would define style and what we would and wouldn't do, or what the, you know, rules of the road are for this beauty regimen that's going to make you look 10 years younger. You know, you have to like put it on in a certain order. You can't combine these two things during the day. You have to have one for day and one for night. So all of that stuff has to be sort of divined by the human, but then you can apply those same like paradigms to all the rest of the products and repeat it a billion times in a way right. that doesn't require a human. So like the human sets off the process, but they don't have to repeat it a million times. You can hand it off to a machine to repeat it, you know, the 50th through millionth time. And then the human can go back to doing their creative process and setting up the next thing for success. Yes, that's incredible. I think it's also like a important reminder of the fact that as powerful as AI and machine learning is right now, it's not anywhere near the point where it could just immediately and instantaneously start replacing human roles, right? And so 
to your point, you have to actually understand the human processes and and perhaps, you know, the nuances within that brand. And then you can find a way to create that process for it. Is that right? That's right. And I don't think that you would ever use machine learning necessarily to do the whole human's job. You still need them to set off the the vision um, because they're the ones who are defining what does the brand stand for and what is unique expertise. And I feel like it's going to be a long time before human consumers are willing to take that cue from an AI engine. You know, if AI engine told them this is what's cool, I don't think I'm going to trust them. I'm going to trust a fellow human. So that we're a long way from, in my opinion. Sometimes you might not know, <laughs> like there's Instagram and inf- quote influencers who are completely mm. bought they're not real humans. So it's kind of interesting, like play with that idea. But I do believe that there's like a point to having the person involved at the beginning of the process. But there is very little point to having a, a person like repeat the same thing a million times. That's that's a poor use of a human's time. So that's really where AI has the power to be revolutionary. And at least in the space that we're talking about, it's not taking anybody's job because you still yes. need the person to do the work. And nobody's creating a million you know, outfits by hand in these organizations. It's just not feasible. So they weren't doing it anyway. They were doing other stuff. And so it's actually just completely accretive rather than displacing somebody's function. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that. Today's show is supported by Remote Health from SafetyWing. Remote Health is the first global health insurance built specifically for remote teams and entrepreneurs. Attract talent from anywhere in the world under one simple plan at the same price, no matter where they live or work. Sign up your company in about 10 minutes and easily add remote employees at any time check out safetywing.com forward slash remote hyphen health for more information. Protect your customers from fraud and identity theft with Embed ID, a front-end tool that ensures you collect the right data during account opening for identity verification in every country. With TrulyU Embed ID, all you have to do is copy and paste a snippet of code to verify the globe. Make sure you only let the good guys in while keeping the bad guys at bay by onboarding verified customers. Visit trulyu.com forward slash get embed ID. That's T-R-U-L-I-O-O dot com forward slash get E-M-B-E-D I-D. Now, what I think is super unique about your business, of course, you're, you know, talking about automation, you're leveraging machine learning, you're working with enterprise clients. And although they're retailers, they still go across a few verticals, whether it's streetwear or sportswear, um, or even as you were mentioning earlier, home goods. And I just wanted to kind of zoom out a bit and get a bit of your strategic insight around prioritization and product development with your product. Because I know a lot of makers in our community, similar to you, are serving B2B audience. And I just wondered if you had any insight on how you were able to prioritize what was on the Find Mind product roadmap in light of the fact that you are dealing with clients that aren't always in the same industry or don't always face the same challenges. So, you know, building out a platform and building out solutions that 
will be valuable to all of them without narrowing yourself too much. Was there any like learnings that you got along the way or any advice you can share on that front? Yeah. So this is an area that I felt really comfortable in because my career had been as a product manager and doing that Mm -hmm. trade-offs and stakeholder alignment and trying to make sure everyone was happy, but not building something so custom that it's unrecognizable or unscalable. So from the very beginning, I had my eye on that, making sure that that wasn't the case and that everything was extensible enough. And so what we have now, like we had to add new features for our platform for new customers coming on that we had never like anticipated or seen before. So one of our clients is Adidas and they have like sporting you know, or um, like team apparel. So you would never wear like a Lakers jersey with a Warriors uh, pants. It just doesn't make any sense. If our system didn't know that that was like a a thing to look at, team, it might pair those two things together and that's completely inappropriate. So we had to add that, but it wasn't like we were just adding it and it's only a feature Adidas is going to use. It actually is a feature that makes total sense and is extensible to a number of different use cases. So it might not be for another brand. It might not be um, the Lakers and the Warriors. It might be like an influencer and like another influencer, you know, you don't want to have the like Ariana Grande collection mixing with the Zendaya collection. Um, You have them separate. So it became this kind of more extensible concept because we could think through, okay, here's how brand A would use it, brand B, brand C, brand D. And there was enough like, okay, a lot of people could uh, have a benefit from this that it's worth building into the core of our platform. And then of course, like as we've grown, we have big clients and they spend a lot of money on our software. And so the bigger accounts get to expect some level of customization, but we build that into our contracts. So we write like a certain set amount of hours from a developer, you know, development hours or professional services to do things that are really custom or one-offs for them. But we're covering our bases because we're limiting that number based on like the size of the contract. And then they're getting like their top priorities met, but they don't get anything and everything that they could come up with. That's maybe going to like derail us from our core mission. And they don't want that either because if they derail us from our core mission, the value of what we're doing is not as good. Um, Whereas if we can focus on the core of what we're doing, can move forward like the actual value proposition that we drive for them, which is making them more money, they end up better off in the long run, even if they didn't get this bell or whistle that is like super custom to them. So it's a good way to split the difference. Amazing. I feel like you framed that really well as well, because it's not really a concession if the client is still ultimately growing their bottom line or solving the problem that they came to you for. So like, you know, as you said, are all the bells and whistles even necessary? Um, And I think that's definitely one of the challenges that makers have to face when they start engaging in partnership discussions with enterprises, the sales cycle is so long, you know, six to 12 months, you're still building your product alongside, you really want to, you know, close the deal and, you know, have a long-term relationship with these companies. I wanted to just get some insight. I know you're very much product focused, but, you know, being the founder, being the CEO, of course, you're going to do a ton of that business development stuff too. Is there any advice you can give makers out there listening who are also building a B2B solution for enterprise about, how to not get discouraged when trying to close their first big deals. On the one hand, I feel like I don't have great advice on this because I think we got really lucky. We closed amazing clients like incredibly quickly, all else considered. But actually I think the way we got there was kind of like crawl, walk, run. So I think you have to 
constantly just keep moving. So you should be, pitching, you know, maybe be pitching like the big guns, the ones you really want to sell to eventually. And it depends on your business. Like we're focused purely on the enterprise. We're not SMB or, you know, like smaller brands or retailers. And that was like a strategic choice. So if that's you, yeah, pitch for, you know, the city banks and the Home Depots and the, you know, Allianz, like the big companies that you really want to go for. Because maybe there's one that takes a chance on you. A lot of them are becoming much more innovative and startup focused. And if nothing else, you're going to learn a lot. That's your customer development. You're going to learn what features are important. You're going to learn what the, the, the pushback is. You're going to get closer to that product market fit. But you're probably not going to close any of them until you have a couple of things under your belt. And so right. go like way further downstream, find someone where it's much lower risk than these giant corporations and have a proof of concept or have a case study and then work your way, like use that case study to go sell the next slightly bigger, more prestigious, more complicated enterprise on your software and then use that to sell the next and the next. And you daisy chain them together and eventually you get Citibank to come to the table because you have enough proof points that you can justify it. Um, because there's just a whole bunch of headaches involved in selling to enterprise. Like you have to deal with procurement and legal, very stringent security reviews. Like it might not be worth it because you don't have any other things in place and you're going to have to pay a whole bunch of money for a pen test and potentially SOC 2 compliance and stuff like that. And like if you sold to a, sm- a smaller organization just to get the case studies and stuff, um, even if it's less revenue or no revenue, then you're not going to encounter all of those hurdles. And you're going to get a case study that helps you sell the bigger brand on your ability to serve them. So just keep moving forward. I would say you have to parallel path it and don't get discouraged just because Citibank isn't buying what you're selling yet. That's such great advice. I love that, you know, that phrase you used of like pursuing it in parallel, going together, you know, at the same time, pushing for those big, huge multinational company deals, but then also aiming for clients who, as you said, have fewer boxes to tick internally in order for them to start working with a new company. And I think seeing the other side of the table and like what the different hurdles are that they have to cross is always a really helpful thing to remember. So it's like not always discouraging. It's more a fact that these are as you said, like regulatory or legal requirements that they have to fulfill. And the frustration of those is that they take time. But at the same time, maybe it just doesn't make sense for you as a maker to work with them if you have like a bigger time constraint or whatever. I also thought it might be helpful to just get you to talk a bit about the website. So, you know, I spent some time on findmine.com's website and I have to say like there is an incredible amount of information on there, an incredible amount of case studies. I just feel like all the information, all the use cases I could possibly think of as a potential client are all carefully illustrated for me. This must have been a really mindful decision on your part, having heard questions in conversations and having been in conversations with potential partners. Yeah, we just redid it actually recently. And before it was not very clear. Um, And (laughs) we have like the blessing and the curse of being um, a new technology in a new category that people are just waking up to. So it's really exciting because no one really defined it, dominated it. It's not super competitive and and commoditized. So we have a really strong opportunity to be the leader. In fact, we are the leader. We've received multiple awards from like well-respected companies and organizations for what we do. 
and mm. people are starting to realize, oh shoot, like my expertise as a brand is a really unique competitive advantage. I need to make sure I scale that out. But at the same time, people don't necessarily always know they have a problem or the severity of the problem that they have or how to tackle it. And our technology is an engine that can de-bottleneck the content creation process to guide the customer in any channel. So there's kind of like endless use cases. So you get a little bit of analysis paralysis from the customer sometimes where they're like, okay, I believe there's a problem. That's like half the battle. I believe it's a big enough problem for me to like do something about it. I believe find mine's the way to go about it, but I don't even know how to start using you guys. So right. we have to be very prescriptive and help them see, okay, if this is your number one place that content is bottlenecking you or that your customer is not understanding how to use your products and it, it could be hurting you, let's start here and let's do like this one small use case and prove it out. Or we might be talking to a CMO who's like, yeah, our brand has great you know, authority and expertise, but it all falls apart in like all these channels and it needs to be consistent. So we want to buy the whole package and solve it across all these cases. So we kind of have to like lead people to water a little bit and show them right. not only here's the problem, this is an existential threat to your business. Then we go from being like a nice to have, or I don't even know what this is to a, Oh my God, this is the number one thing I need to do this year. But then how I do it, I need some help with, and we have to put one foot in front of the other for them. It's honestly, it's so funny because like our whole, our whole like mission in life is to help the buyer um, you know, the consumer usually understand how to be successful with the product that they're buying. And that's exactly right. the thing we have to do when we're selling to an enterprise. There are, <laughs> they have less information about how to be successful with our fine mind technology than we do. And we have to close that gap for them. It's like so full circle. It's just ironic. It's very meta. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Amazing. But yeah, I would definitely encourage makers out there, especially ones who like you are innovating in a new frontier, the problem and rather like the existential threat, if that is the problem, is necessarily a common narrative that already exists in that space. I would definitely encourage folks to just check out findmind.com because I think you've done a really great job of illustrating the problem from lots of different angles and then sort of explaining how your solution can fit in to all of them. So yeah, it's really, really good. Now I don't, I know we don't have a ton of time, so I just wanted to get you before you jump off to share some of your favorite products. Being Product Hunt, we always ask for recommendations. Maybe it's the tools that your team rely on. Maybe it's something fun that never leaves your handbag or you're obsessed with at home. But yeah, this is your time for personal recommendations. Awesome. Well, I'm pregnant. I'm due on Sunday. And oh, congrats. A lot of my favorite products right now are like baby things that I think are genius. So um, Amazing. one app is called Baby List. It's like a universal baby registry. And they have a bunch of like reviews and guides and things like that. Another thing that I think is awesome, and I haven't used it yet because we haven't had our baby, but is a it's called the Hatch Grow. It's a changing table like we put it on top of any kind of dresser or countertop and it's a little like peanut shaped thing that you put the baby in to change the baby, but it's also a scale. So you can measure Amazing. how much your baby's growing and you don't have to like have another device in your house or something like that. I'm all about things that can be used for multiple purposes because I live in right. I love that. all apartment. So those are some of my favorite things so far. 
Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I feel like, well, I'm a godmother. So I have uh, totally gotten involved with buying baby products. And there's just so much stuff out there. Like from when we were kids, I was just like, oh my gosh, look at this nightlight. Look at this cool thing. Look at this like drum set. (laughs) Yeah, there's a ton of cool kid products out there. Thanks so much for sharing your favorite recommendations. For those who are listening and maybe want to find out more about Find Mine or more about you, where should they go? Yeah, we're at findmine.com. That's our website. And um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's probably where I'm most active on social media. I'm pretty abysmal at tweeting, but um, you can follow Find Mine US on Twitter. It's a bit more active than I am. And yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being on Product Dent Radio, Michelle. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.